This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. So between understand and overcome, there's this little bridge that goes over a really happy place, and that's called hope. Because when a person understands why this isn't going away or why it's happening in the first place, they have hope. Because understanding the why is a huge linchpin in them getting better. I remember the first time that I took a course on postural assessment. It was part of a continuing education program for my personal training certification. At the time, honestly, I was blown away by what many of you might think sounds like common sense. And that is the idea that our posture impacts every aspect of our life and Every aspect of our life impacts our posture. I went on to do qualifications and certifications and postural assessment and corrective exercise. I really got interested in mind-body connection. And many of you who might've worked with me as a trainer know that I incorporated this into the work that I was doing. And that is part of the reason that I am so excited about the guest that we have on this episode today. Today, I am interviewing Dr. Vincent Cataruccia. Dr. Vince is a musculoskeletal pain and injury specialist. He has expertise in human movement and performance, body work and manual therapy, and also postural and motion evaluation. He is also the recent best-selling author of a new book called Damned by the Diagnosis. We talk about the book which outlines Dr. Vince's three-step process for helping people get out of pain. If you or someone you know lives with chronic pain, you are going to want to pick up his book and listen to this interview because I know there will be something in here that will be useful to you. So with that, I invite you to sit back and listen in as Dr. Vince shares his story. Dr. Vince Cataruccia, welcome to It Just Takes One. How are you today? Well, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk with you. I haven't had a chance to talk with you since your book actually came out. We talked a lot beforehand, but this is my first chance to get it. I actually had the book in my hand and then I get a chance to see you with it in my hand. So yeah. welcome to the show. Well, I must say it looks good in your hands. Uh, <laughs> That's nice. And all my notes for our interview today sticking out of the top. So obviously it's been used. You can't help but hold up the book and not be caught by the title of the book, Damned by the Diagnosis. And I think that is a really good place for us to start our conversation. Why did you name your book Damned by the Diagnosis? Well, you know, uh, I can start with the fact that I'm a clinician. I spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with people. And so I get to hear the woes and the stories of, of a lot of the clients that come in that have been 
given a diagnosis and it becomes their new brand. It becomes who they are. It becomes their story. And it's a story that they have a very hard time giving up or relinquishing. And the fact is that diagnosis does the very thing. It damns them because really it closes all the doors of possibility for that person to potentially get better. In, 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 a, in a matter of fact, it's one of those things that, you know, just like an athlete will visualize the sport that they play. And there's a lot of research that shows they'll actually don't, they don't have to practice. They can visualize and actually become better at that sport. Well, when you tell a person that they have a specific diagnosis and that becomes something that they continue to kind of ruminate over and they start really owning that diagnosis, even if there are solutions that could potentially rid them of the diagnosis, they become so good at that story that it, it becomes a part of their fabric. It becomes who they are. So that's where the title comes from because a lot of the people that walk through my door are just that they're damned by the diagnosis that they've been given. Unfortunately, we need names, right? We need to have a name for something. Uh, we got to call it something. So here we are with the diagnosis and, and then it becomes who we are and our story for the rest of our lives. So that's where it comes from. Well, one of the things that I have always enjoyed about our conversations and as we worked on the book, I got to learn about you and your practice is this holistic look at what we go through as individuals that, you know, you're describing it there by the, 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 the way that we sort of internalize the label and then it becomes, as you said, the fabric of how we walk through our lives, how we live our lives. And so part of what you do is you, you really look at way more than just a label, but you're looking holistically at the client and, and, much more than just one little piece. Share a, a little bit about how you go about doing that. And what are some of those factors that are influencing the, the, the work that you're doing with your clients? Yeah, well, factors is just that. So when I look at a person, not, not to make this too basic, I look at them like a bucket. <laughs> and they, as the people, the client, they are affected by numerous environmental um, organic factors like nutrition, like fitness, like um, spirituality, um, family. There's all things that play into how a person feels or how they interpret or perceive the experience that they're having. So at the end of the day, when I first meet a person, uh, it's all about understanding what's filling that bucket and what, why is there this, this spillover and all of this pain, all of this um, dysfunction in a sense, where is it coming from? And each of the factors that influence a person's life or their bucket, it could be percentages. So for some people, spirituality is a really big component in their life. And if they're not 
if they're not in harmony with that, it's going to affect them in a big way. For others, their nutrition is so far off base, that's going to obviously affect how they feel. If they're not exercising, it's going to affect how they feel. So there's everybody is unique in their makeup or their story and the factors that are influencing them and how they actually feel or perceive pain. So that's something that we drill down and we really try to understand it so that we have a good fundamental baseline for creating a solution. So as you, as you mentioned, there's factors, but in the book, we break it into sections. So that first piece, the piece that I kind of just explained is the understand. It's the part one is understand. And that's what you have to do. You have to really understand how the person's vibrating, like what makes them resonate in a world. And if they're not feeling well, well, what's got them on their heels? What's making that vibration wrong? Um, and you'll probably get to it in the interview, but that's where I kind of look at the medical system and say, well, we're not taking enough time to understand the people that we're trying to help. So you were going exactly where I was going to go because one of the things, I mean, that, that first part understanding is so crucial and it's really what makes your practice so much different than what we would call the, the, the healthcare doctors at this, at this point, the way our culture is in healthcare, where you actually are looking at that bucket that you describe and all these pieces and taking the time to understand where in your, in your experience, did you start realizing that that was the critical first piece and the piece that was really missing in healthcare? It's kind of funny as you say it to me, I, I recollect being a young clinician and every time I would meet with a client, it was a little bit like being um, a spectator at a rodeo and someone blindfolding you and carrying you down into a chute, and putting you on a horse and you get to figure out really quick how to ride this wild stallion. That's the way it was as a clinician. It was kind of like I had all this great academics behind me. But when it came to really acting it out in life and working with people, everybody is so different. They have such a unique story. And it's not just about this moment when they walk in and they declare, I have low back pain. Well, most often the low back pain is coming from somewhere else. And, and so it took a long while for me to really realize that when I meet somebody, I need to understand the whole story from the mental emotional side, all the way to the physical side. And that's a great big spectrum, right? So they call it the biopsychosocial system in Europe. That's slowly trying to matriculate itself into the US, but we have a harder time adopting the whole mental emotional impact on the physical. Um, I take it a step further and we do talk about energy and flow and understanding vibration and resonance because that's what we are, right? We're electricity and we're sound. That's who we are. That's how we run. And so 
inside of it all, it took a long time for me to mature enough to go into every session with a person slow enough without thinking I knew everything and allow that person to, to help me figure it out. And you mentioned Europe because you actually did some of your study in Europe. And I think as the listeners are hearing this or watching this, they're getting a sense that that you really bring a lot of different aspects to this. You bring this Eastern philosophy, you bring this spirituality to your practice, uh, you integrate this into your life. Can you share just a little bit more about your background and how you were able to experience and learn all of these different modalities so that you could begin to incorporate them into your practice? Well, I have to say some of it was relatively divine because I didn't wake up one day and decide this is the path that I want to be on. I was supposed to be an engineer (laughs) (laughs) to start this off. I was supposed to be a mechanical engineer. So um, my, my path has been one less traveled, they would say, you know, so each of the different um, chapters in my educational life only happened because of my curiosity. So there was no real direction. I ended up in Europe simply because I was being kind of rogue and I jumped into a chiropractic diplomat program. And even though I'm not a chiropractor, I, I kind of finagled myself in and I did succeed going through that diplomat program and i found some pretty amazing information in it so i went through two more so i did 900 hours in the chiropractic diplomat programs across the u.s and then i ended up going to prague czechoslovakia to study at motul hospital under two neurologists that were writing the books that we were being taught in the diplomat program. So it was just me chasing the next level that brought me into Europe. And I just happened to stumble upon, you know, the people that are recognized by the World Health Organization and they're the people that write or were writing because they're just um, recently deceased. But they, they were the people that everybody was, they were, men- they were the mentors for our industry. And our information in the U.S. matriculates from there, which is, a, you know, if you're going to learn, you might as well learn from the top, top of the class. So that's how I ended up going into that whole venue. And Europe was an experience. It was socialized when I went the first time. So watching how they take care of people in a socialized environment helps you understand what the human body can actually endure in terms of manual therapy because you know there's nothing fluffy in the socialized world in manual therapy it's get in fix the problem get out the person needs to be better now whereas in the u.s there's a lot of fluffy treatments there's a lot of multiple session treatments whereas the stuff i learned was you have the government paying for this you need to get the person better now. And so I learned techniques that are, are relatively rigorous, but they're incredibly efficient at getting a person better. So. Interesting. 
that's how I ended up doing the, the European travel. Yeah, and it's um, it, for people that are not fully aware of the field and, and, and maybe not realizing where some of these methodologies come from, Czechoslovakia is a little, you know, is not a place you hear of often when you're talking about getting people out of pain. So it's nice to make that connection. Right, exactly. You know, and I, I had the, the luxury of learning from a gentleman named Paul St. John, who retired after the master's course that I went through in neuromuscular therapy. And again, another rigorous training kind of schedule, but also a no frills methodology in helping people get better and understanding where issues are coming from and why. So I, I definitely was pinpoint on what I was learning. Um, I didn't waste a lot of time and energy on things that I don't use today. Um, and they were, they were pretty unique. Like I, I'm in a, a group that's pretty small that does what I do, so. Yeah, it's really interesting. I want to go back because we started talking about part one being understanding and you made a comment that I really want to sh to go into a little bit more and share a little bit more about because this is actually something that I am fascinated by. You and I have had conversations about mind-body connection and how the mind and body play together to create our experience. You briefly talked about it when you were talking earlier about this under learning to understand and taking the time to understand but I, I would like to go a little deeper just so that the audience can really understand what you're talking about when you're talking about this mind-body connection and the impact that has on a person oh yeah it's it's giant I mean so here let's just paint this picture when a person's sad or depressed, that's, a, that's an emotional experience, right? That's a mental, emotional experience. Well, with that comes a physical posture. So if you envision a sad, depressed person, their posture is following suit, right? So it, it's just an example of how we think, we feel. How we speak, we feel. So if you're consistently talking about or telling a story of misery and sorrow, your physical being, your physical posture, that orchestra of muscles, that orchestra of nerves, it's playing to that beat. It's playing to that negative thought process or that negative talk. You know, there's a lot of, nowadays, there's a lot of coaching out there online that talks about positive talk and positive thought and, and getting people to be pulled out of the whole depressive state and sad place, being stuck in their homes and what have you. But it's very true, you know, the, the whole idea of pain, it's a miserable thing, right? Generally speaking, most people that have pain aren't walking around with a big smile on their face, chest up head up high, right? But the idea is to understand how much of that behavior, that emotion is playing into their experience with their pain. So I do, I ask them a lot of questions about how is it affecting their life? Like what hobbies 
are they unable to participate in? And it's not really about the hobby itself. Like, it doesn't matter to me whether they're not playing golf or they are playing golf. But I take it a step further. And in my own mind, if they're not doing something they love to do, they're obviously sad. They're obviously hurting, right, on an emotional level. I know that as an athlete. When I get injured, I can't participate in what I do. It's depressing. It's really hard. And it makes me feel worse physically. So these are things that we definitely need to understand in, in those first meetings with people in order to understand just how big, what's the whole picture? How big is the problem? It's not just, I've got low back pain. <laughs> And then we also talk about how is this affecting your partner, your wife, your, your significant other, your children. It, it, it's expansive when you have pain that's been existing for time. And that all kind of circles back, right? So now you have a miserable, unhappy, depressive cycle of people that are surrounding you. They're waking up every morning thinking that you're in pain. So that's the first question they ask. How are you? With the notion that you're going to answer them, I have this pain. So they learn to expect it, right? Like it's just a trained thing. It's a giant cycle. So how do we get that ball to stop rolling downhill? And in that first bunch of pages in the book under understand, my whole goal is to get people to, to realize that this is a huge piece of them getting better. And if their clinician isn't spending time understanding it, well, maybe they need to have the conversation with the clinician or find a different clinician that's going to take the time because their, their future is in jeopardy like you said, a, a cycle that gets replicated and then reinforced. So it yeah. just keeps going and going. And, and, and there's, it, it, which is why they're in chronic pain. This yeah. isn't just a, a single injury and it's done. This is something that just sticks around. So once you really fully understand that and you've taken the time to get them to share some of these bigger pieces and they're starting to see that there's a bigger picture here, then you move on to step two, which for you is called overcome. overcome. So talk and, a little bit about what that means. Yeah. And what I would say is there's a bridge. So between understand and overcome, there's this little bridge that goes over a really happy place. And that's called hope. Because when a person understands why this isn't going away or why it's happening in the first place, they have hope because understanding the why is a huge linchpin in them getting better. So that little bridge that takes us over into the overcome chapter or section is hope. And, and uh, Carl Levitt, the Czech neurologist, would say to us in our class that if you can give a person hope in that first session, they will be 30% better without you even touching them. Like they will feel better and you haven't even done anything. They just, they will walk out feeling like this is the place 
where I'm going to heal. Like I finally found a place that I'm going to get better. So we walk over that little bridge called hope. And now we're in the overcome section and overcome really has to do <laughs> that section is kind of um, a section to let people know that it's time to do the hard work and to own it. Like, yeah, coming from a clinician's perspective, I'm here to help. But if you're not coming 100% committed and ready to take the hard path, we might not work well together, right? So I tell a story in the book about choosing that path. You could stay on the one you're on, it has no bumps, it's got these you know, pretty skyscapes and it's a very flat terrain, but you're gonna end up in the same spot. Or we're gonna look down the road that has no tire marks in it. There's a bunch of rocks that you gotta drive over. It's gonna be a little bumpy. Are you ready for that? And that's where the overcome chapter section comes in is to get a person to say, yep, okay, let's do this. I'm ready to do it because now I understand why I'm in trouble. Before, it's hard to do all that hard work, all the physical therapy, all the goofy home exercises. If you're doing it without understanding why, what's the reason I'm doing this stuff, right? Like, I'm doing this because this cool little kid at the PT center told me I should do it. Well, that's not enough. After five weeks, it's not enough to give you the gusto to actually do your exercises or actually go to the next appointment. So that whole overcome section gets people to understand that the, the gravity of the discipline it's going to take to go over and, and get better. Um, yeah. That's pretty much overcome. I think there's uh, lots more, um, cool stories. I have some clinical cases that talk about exactly what we just mentioned. People that were traveling the road that was pretty easy and being told that the clinician's going to fix it. They're just going to keep coming in for procedures and they end up in the same spot every time. Like I'm still not better. And so I have three case studies. I call them adventures because that's exactly what they were. Um, you know, I was just the, the tour guide on the adventure and it was all about getting in and getting dirty and, and making, doing the hard work and making progress every time I saw the person. When you're talking about all of that, I'm just curious. They're, they've understood, they've crossed the bridge of hope, which I love that visual. And, and, and then the real work begins, the rubber meets the road in your analogy there. What's the biggest resistance that you find? Is it that they're afraid of the physical? Is it a, that they're uncertain about whether it will work? Are they just not committed and disciplined? Like what, what do you think is, are some of the biggest barriers that yeah. they have to doing the work? Um. Well, I think first off, it, a lot of people, I can't say everybody, but a lot of people, I don't know if they're really good with being led down a road that's dark and you don't know where it's headed. 
right? Like I kind of tell that story about getting into a car with a driver and you have no clue how you're getting to where you're going to go. And you don't know the driver. You don't know anything about what's about to happen. You're just this passenger and you're hoping you get there. So if you don't understand, if you don't go through that whole first big phase of understanding, you're kind of living with blind faith. So it's really easy to give up. It's really easy to not continue or get frustrated. Because again, if you don't understand the why, maybe the whole strategy in the first place is wrong. Maybe you're on the wrong path. Well, unfortunately, there's money, time, and sometimes undue stress and pain involved in the path that you're on. And then you find out that because there wasn't enough time spent, you're on the wrong path. Well, you do that once, you do it twice, you do it three times. It's an incredibly frustrating thing. Um, so in terms of obstacles, I think there's a lot. There's this notion that the clinician's going to fix me. Well, get that out of your head because that's not how it works. If you want to be better, you need to take ownership of that. It's your responsibility to make sure that you're vetting the clinician you're working with or the practitioner or the doctor, whoever it is. You need to do your homework and you need to ask the appropriate questions. So that's one piece is thinking that the system's going to fix you because it's not really how it works. It's not a pill. It's not an injection. It's going to be hard work and it could be lifestyle management and changes to your lifestyle. The other one that's a big deal is the, the family that you live within can be an obstacle, you know, because they get used to the whole notion of you being hurt or you being in trouble. So they start doing workarounds and your life actually starts to change its trajectory and the things that you're actually doing, you're, they end up not intentionally, but unintentionally creating life with no motion. So they, they kind of, um, they steal your, or they, what, what's the word? They, you become codependent on the whole idea of having handlebars in the house and ramps and canes and crutches because the family's thinking they're helping you instead of trying to help you get better. They're, they're enabling you in a sense. So, um, those are just a couple that I can really think of off the top of my head. But, you know, I, I think it goes back to your whole bucket, the whole bucket of life. Nutrition, if your nutrition's horrible, you're not going to get better. Your spiritual life is out of touch and you're not keeping that in check. You're going to get in trouble. Um, who else is in there? We had family, we have nutrition, well, exercise, of course. If you, if you just throw that over your shoulder and decide you're not going to move anymore, you're not going to get better. You know, that's the first thing that we do in the, in the first couple sessions is figure out what a person can do. You know, if they can't walk, can they swim? Even bounce up and down in the pool. If they can't do that, can they ride a recumbent bike? How about a vibration plate? There are a lot of options out there rather than just thinking, well, 
my knee hurts or my back hurts, so I'm going to stop moving. That's a ridiculous thought process. In my my. Well, I think as you're describing them, and there's certainly others, you know, your job, your your fulfillment in life. I mean, lots of things that you've mentioned. You know, sometimes I think we get into that rut of the pain we know is somehow better than the pain we don't know, <laughs> or or what we don't we don't know if it will ever end, and so we just accept the unacceptable. Yeah. Well, we talk about that in the book. We we say that a person's story becomes so familiar that they're just not willing to give it up. Like they just, it just, you know, it's your story. Mm-hmm. It's hard to change it, isn't it? Yeah. Like it redefine is. yourself. Maybe, it is. maybe you went into this whole thing kicking and screaming and completely against the notion of being considered disabled or hurt. But then all of a sudden, after three months, you settle in. It's your new normal. And every time you talk about it, it becomes easier. And so it becomes your new story. It becomes your new normal. And I'm a big proponent of understanding what that that first story was. Let's play that record instead of this new one. The, The oldies are always better than the new ones anyway. I agree. I agree. Well, if they do commit and they do see that there is this potential for something different, then they move on to the third stage, which is for you, pursue. So share what that is. Yeah. So this is a very cyclic kind of thought process because in the beginning, one of my interview questions is what would you do if you no longer had this pain, like how would your life look without pain, without the thing that's getting in the way? And a lot of people can't answer that. Like they have no clue what are they gonna do with this body that doesn't have an impediment. So we have to figure that out. So last section is pursue, and that's pursue the life that you desire without this incumbent, without this trouble, right? So that's a huge question. And how do we do it? How do we figure that out? I have a gentleman right now who has multiple situations going on. One, because of radiation into the neck, 44 treatments, he's lost function of the the arm and the hand. And then he had a sciatic issue where he has drop foot. Well, he's 74, but all through life, he was, a, he was a hill climber, motocross rider. And when he talks about that, he lights up. And he just sold his Harley Davidson recently. And it was the, one of the most tragic events that he's talked about. So I said to him, I said, look, This time next year, our goal is to get back on a motorcycle. We're going to ride. And he said, what? I said, yeah, I think we can restore your hand function well enough so that you can actually pull in the clutch and you can do this. Well, since we've made that our marquee goal, he hasn't missed a beat, not one day. In fact, I have to get him to stop exercising so much because we've created 
this light at the end of the tunnel and he's a high achiever. But before we had that conversation, it was just mundane session to session to session to session for him. Well, now this is, we have an event that's going to happen next year, next December, and it'll be a 75-year-old man riding. Maybe it's not going to be a giant touring bike, but get him back on a motorcycle so that he can do the thing that he truly loves, right? So that's what this is about, is figuring out what makes you resonate on a high level, what, what really makes you feel amazing and get you to visualize that and tie it right to every session, tie it to everything we're doing. And now all of a sudden the pursuit of this goal makes it so much more palatable, so much more easy. And the results are pretty crazy fast because <laughs> you know the human system wants to be homeostatic. It wants to be good. Well, if you're dragging around a little red wagon of despair, that's not going to happen. You got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of all this defeatist attitude and, and woe is me thought process. And we just have to figure out what that, that currency is for the person. What, what makes that person shine when you mention it? So that's all part of it. That's all part of the pursuit of that life that you most desire. Um, it's amazing when you have that deeper purpose and why and that yeah. carrot dangling out there, how much more motivated you are. But also I think, and I, I, I think this is an important piece, the recognition that they're not doing this alone. When you said you're going to ride a motorcycle, you actually said, we are going to ride a motorcycle. You're in this journey with them. This is your, it, it's a, it's takes more than them on their own to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's why we're doing what we do as clinicians, isn't it? I mean, I didn't get into this to be a librarian and sit at a desk and tell someone to take a book out and, you know, bring it back next week. I'm here because I'm all about this journey. Like, the cool part about being with a clinician that's 30 years in, I've been on this path a bunch of times. And I know where the pitfalls are. And I know some of the shortcuts. So, you know, sometimes people have a little bit of a tough time with my fee schedule, right? But I look at them and say, yeah, well, this is 30 years of experience and it's worth something. And the idea is I have seen this case a hundred thousand times already. This is not going to be hard as long as you follow me. This could be very difficult if you stay on the path that you're on and you keep chasing the cheapest care that you can find. It's just the way it is. So these are conversations definitely that are had. And yeah, I mean, I'm in it with them 100%. Absolutely. Well, like you said, when, when somebody's doing something that lights them up, you see it right away and you just lit up like a Christmas tree as you were talking about it. So yeah, you're clearly in it with them, right along with them, uh, because this is what you do. This is so much your passion and purpose. I think that people will get that vibe off of those adventure stories. 
You know, I think that we told that story, those stories in such a manner that the reader can jump in and actually experience it with us. Right. So that's my hope is that, and that's been my feedback from the readers of the book that they really enjoyed going on that journey in the book with us was neat. Yeah. Let's do that for these listeners. Let's take, pick one of those adventures that you share so (laughs) that somebody can see really how these three parts come together. The understand overcome and pursue how do they really work in real life can you give an example of a client you worked with what they came in with what they left with yeah well uh, i forget which number adventure it was but there's a gentleman big man that came in with exquisite hip issues um basically was out of work, out of life. And I think in the, in the adventure story, I talk about him looking a lot like Paul Bunyan, Mm -hmm. you know, just a massive, massive, muscular, athletic person that he was reduced to, you know, if, if he stood six, five, his persona when I met him was five foot. He was reduced to just a meager man because he couldn't do anything in life without all of this hip pain and and low back issues. And, you know, he, he defined himself by being productive, by being part of the labor workforce, blue collar. And so we spent an hour and a half talking about his journey. And during that, that hour and a half conversation, what I was doing is I was slowly but surely picking out key points that he was making in his, in his recollection of all of his physical therapy, all of his doctor visits, all the things that he had been through to try to figure this out. And I think he was in the system for three or four years. Um, I'd have to go back and read my own adventure story to remember that. But at the end of the day, he gave me enough historical information to be able to look right at him and confidently say, I think I understand why. Now, when when I'm talking to a blue collar worker that's mechanically minded, you know, he, he works with machines and tools it's a little bit easier to explain it, the human body to him as a machine. And so I was able to lay it out and basically say that, you know, his chassis, his frame was dog tracking. It was twisted. And that wasn't going to get better unless we did something about his leg length issue. And I just remember him looking at me like I fell out of a tree. What do you mean, my leg length issue? Well, one of the things that the medical system really overlooks, which is kind of crazy, because in 1938, Travell and Simons wrote the trigger point manuals, and they've since been republished many times in different volumes. But at the end of the day, leg length discrepancy is, is something that drives body pain for people 
all over the world. And if you don't figure it out as the linchpin, as the primary issue, you're just going to run around in the system like a gerbil in a wheel because the pain that you have in your hips or your back or your knees or your neck will just keep coming back because you haven't leveled the pelvis. So I explained it to him as kind of mud jack in the house so that the, the corners of the house and the, and the, um, the floorboards and everything were lined up. He understood it. I got him into a kind of a false leg length correction, just using cardboard to show him how he could feel. So I ran around my office and collected all the cardboard I could find and cut seven millimeters and stuffed it in a shoe. And within seconds, his entire demeanor changed because when you can unload a system, especially a big one like his, when you can create balance, his electrical system just gets calm. It relaxes. And so, you know, it uh, um, makes me want to cry because he started crying because that was the answer after four years and, you know, losing his job and all of that stuff. So we had him go in and have an x-ray to make sure that we could see the actual millimeter discrepancy. I got those measurements back. And then I had a cobbler make a leather insole for that one shoe. And that was it. It took me about three hours of total work and listening to figure that out. But at the end of the day, I always get accused of making things sound overly simple. I guess I wouldn't have known to look for leg length if I didn't have the background I have. But at the end of the day, it wasn't so hard, you know? Like, and it sure as heck wasn't expensive for him, you know? Um, and now he's living life. Like, the interesting part about my world is I don't get to see the person again. That's the downside. I get to meet some pretty amazing humans and then they get better and they're gone. <laughs> it's almost like helping a helping wildlife out of a trap and you let them go and they're, they're back to life. So yeah, that's uh, one of the adventures. Yeah, I remember I remember that story so well. And I think it is interesting that it took just a little more listening and not just asking questions, but you also are listening with your eyes. You're watching, you're yeah. watching and seeing what his body is doing, how he's sitting, how he's standing, where he's putting his weight. Like there's a lot that you're seeing as well as what you're hearing and things that are not being said. Yeah, we talk about that, about the power of observation. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the greatest skills that I've learned is to be quiet and observe. So I understand what proper human movement looks like. So I have that image, that video playing. And when I look at a person move, I can see where the dysfunction or the aberrant movement is happening. 
And then again, because of time, I can say why it's happening. And so watching, so part of that adventure story was that I could see where he was sitting from 30 feet away in my office. He didn't know I was looking at him. And so when I went up to him, I had already seen some things that he did posturally that helped me understand his issues. But then the bigger deal was that 30 foot walk into my clinic office, I walk behind the person and they don't, they think I'm just being courteous. No, that's the evaluation. That's the movement evaluation. I'm watching their walking pattern as they go into my office. I'm going to have to change it now that we're making that public. But that's right. Now everyone's going to know. <laughs> but at the end of the They'll day, forget. They'll forget. They've got other things on their mind. <laughs> um, Vince, you and I have talked many times about how this just resonates so much with me. It's just part of something that I've always been fascinated with as I have been working with people as a trainer, as a corrective exercise specialist, the posture assessments. So anybody out there who's listening, who happened to be a client of mine will know and understand why this stuff just gets me excited. Um, but I want to share for just a moment, the, a little bit of the book, just so that people can hear your words and, and hear it the way it's written, because there is certainly more in the book than what we've talked about. And I want to encourage people to go out and get it. So I'm, I'm going to actually read the last couple paragraphs of the book. And it says, last, but certainly not least, is for you to be able to ask the right questions that prove you are in capable hands. Something I always love to hear from my client is, wow, that makes sense. Or now I understand why this hurts. In my mind, a professional's capability or ability to help you means they speak your language and what they are saying makes sense. Listen to your intuition. The capable provider will feel intuitively right for you. If not, leave and find a different provider for the service you seek. They're out there. You are in charge of your own health. Do not be damned by your diagnosis. Well Pretty said. <laughs> well yeah. said. And I just wanted to bring up that point again, because if there is a listener out there or a reader who has been in pain or knows somebody who's in pain, I want to encourage them to look a little deeper. I know that's just part of your message is that there are people like you out there who are looking at it a little bit differently. So Vince, if they do want to get in touch with you, how do they reach you? Well, I'm in a little town called Cave Creek, Arizona. It's a wonderful little spot to vacation to, especially for the northern part of our country, right? Um, but for the most part, you can get me on the website, drvincecateruccia.com. Um, you can also get me on email at drdrvcat, D-R-V-C-A-T-T, at outlook.com. Um, those are the two best methods to get a hold of me. I wouldn't give a phone number because my phone numbers change all the time. 
I have a bad habit of giving my phone numbers out to all the clients and then I can't sleep at night. So I have to consistently keep changing phone numbers. Um, but my website and the email are the best too. And that's actually in the book. And I just wanted to add one thing that there are two different directories that are mentioned in the book that people can reach into that you can do a demographic search for like-minded professionals, people that do it like I do it. So I'm part of uh, both of those directories. And the reason why I included them in the book, which was a difficult decision uh, because you know, you got to be careful who you refer people to. You want them to sound and do the same as I would, right? It, it speaks of me. But at the end of the day, I thought these are great resources for the people that are trying to find help in their hometown, but they only know to look into the system. So these directories are alternative to the medical systems. So I just wanted to make that a point also about the book. Great point. Really good point. And also let them know where they can get the book if they're interested in picking that up. Well, we made that really easy. You can get that book on Amazon. And um, the, the one thing that I'm trying to get are reviews. So if you read the book, know when you read the book, you can give me those five stars and then give me the review that, that it deserves. Um, but you could also reach out to us on the website and we can send you a book too. Excellent. Excellent. Vince, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Before we close up here, I want to finish with the, the question that I ask every one of our guests, because it is always a fascinating answer. And that question is, what does the phrase, it just takes one, mean wow. to you? Well, it just does. It. So coming from someone who knows one instance could change the trajectory of your entire life. One moment, one person, one comment. It, it, it's all about being open to opportunity. And it's all about being aware. So listening, consciously, living your life, looking for that one moment that can propel you into the, into the next. When I when I saw the title, I, I just chuckled to myself because a lot of people look at me as that just one, the N of one that changed their trajectory. So when when I saw the title of the of of what you're doing, it resonated with me because it wasn't my goal, but it's what I've become. I've become that one that changes somebody's trajectory in their life so it makes me smile to be a part of the podcast because it's, yeah. it resonates so well with me yeah absolutely perfect I, I love that and in this case if you are somebody out there again who is in chronic pain or knows somebody it can just take one book to actually get you to Vince and and get some help there is hope Absolutely. Vince, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for 
sharing your story, sharing your book, sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great work out there in the world. And I look forward to keeping in touch and seeing where you go next. Thank you for the opportunity, Kelly. We'll talk soon. And there you have it, Dr. Vincent Cataruccia sharing his knowledge and expertise. It probably didn't take you long to recognize that this is a very special and unique person, that Dr. Vince really, truly cares about his patients and is on a mission to help people get out of pain. I love the simplicity of his process, understand, overcome, and pursue. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it makes sense. If you or someone you know are in chronic pain, then I encourage you to follow Dr. Vince. I'll make sure his website and his email and everything are included in the show notes. And certainly be sure to pick up his book, Damn by the Diagnosis, which is available on Amazon. That wraps it up for us today. As always, thank you so much for joining us here on It Just Takes One. And we look forward to sharing our next episode, our next author with you very soon.